0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Diva Behavior, the podcast. I'm your host, Molly Malshine, and my guest today is Keely Quinlan. She is a music journalist and a music maker. In fact, she made the music of this podcast. She made our theme song, Ladies and Gentlemen. And you might remember her amazing voice also from our episode on Courtney Love. But what we're talking about today is the Dixie Chicks controversy in 2003. You might remember the Dixie Chicks went through a huge ordeal in 2003 when they made a statement against the Iraq war and against George W. Bush. And it basically caused their sales to plummet. It caused people to boycott them like crazy. It caused all kinds of media commentators to denounce them and say they were terrible. Bill O'Reilly went on TV and said they deserved to be smacked around, which is completely insane. And what their comment was, was they were in London at the Shepherds Bush Empire Theater performing, and the lead singer, Natalie Maines, said to the crowd, just so you know, we're on the good side with y'all. We do not want this war, this violence, and we're ashamed that the president of the United States is from Texas. Because at the time... George W George W Bush was getting ready to invade Iraq and he wanted obviously the UK to help and a lot of British people were protesting and saying why would we get involved in this war it doesn't seem like a good idea nowadays pretty much everyone looks back on that war and is like yeah that was a pretty bad idea but at the time it was you know apostasy for her to say that publicly so people freaked out she released another statement saying I feel the president is ignoring the opinions of many in the U.S. and alienating the rest of the world but it didn't really do anything to sewage the damage you know people were still losing their minds and the Dixie Chicks I mean they've released a lot of music since then but they really never came back from that they were at the top of the world at the time and it, it really put a damper on their careers, which is unfortunate because they're obviously an incredibly talented band whose music is needed. I mean, Goodbye Earl, we talk about how revolutionary that song is. Their music is great. So some of the stuff that Keely and I talk about is stereotypes surrounding the South, Southern women, country music, the infrastructure of country music, why some acts cross over into the mainstream, why some don't, and what kind of barriers are in place for women and people of color in the country music power structure. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I think it's really interesting. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly Mulshine. Follow Keeley at Keeley Quinlan on Instagram and Twitter. Check out her writing at Stereogum. And please rate and review Diva Behavior on Apple Podcasts. It will really help boost the podcast profile and get it in front of more people's eyes. Which means maybe at some point it will be in more people's ears. Enjoy. Some people think Diva's a bitch. Oh, is a diva to you? Would you say are you one? I never said that. Diva behavior. So 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 hey, great, uh, great gowns. Beautiful gowns. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Like three different aspects of you and your personality and your, dare I say, personal brand that make this interesting is you are from the South, <laughs> you are a feminist, and you're from a military family. You're from a Gold Star family.
1: Yep. Um, and- yeah, so that kind of makes me a total mishmash of views and stuff.
0: Yeah. And you also are really into music, which kind of goes without saying you're from Nashville, but just so that people know, you are like part of your career is writing about and commenting on music.
1: It is. Um, And especially when it comes to country music, I've had a very interesting relationship with, um, you know, like growing up in the South, there's like a thing with country music. It's kind of like very, very, um, I guess you'd say like, you know, Uh, cliche and overdone mandatory Um, you know in terms of like my younger memories yeah mandatory essentially um and like a lot of like my memories with country music um are with women artists like you know especially if we're looking at um what's dominated radio airplay you know since the year 2000 it's been totally men in the like vein of country um -hmm. so i yeah I, i think it's totally interesting that The Dixie Chicks, Shania Twain, uh, Reba McIntyre, Dolly Parton were all like very formative to me in terms of my tastes and also like I just like outright love for music, you know? Um, Right.
0: This is something that I really feel passionate about talking about is the fact that in the U.S. because we have listeners in the U.K., in the U.S., mostly in the north of the U.S., but – just to contextualize the way that the different regions of the U.S. sort of interact with each other or you know, look at each other from afar. In the North, which is where I grew up, a lot of people have this conception that in the South, things are a lot more conservative and people are somehow more racist and more sexist. And – From what I've found growing up, you know, I would hear someone say, oh, people in the South are racist one minute, and then the next minute I would be watching them do or say something completely racist themselves five minutes later, you know? So something I find really interesting about country music is that from the outside looking in, and as someone from New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, I would be considered a country outsider, we would think of it as being conservative male dominated not a place for feminists not a place for you know but i think that is a really messed up way of thinking about it cuz i think it erases the contributions of a lot of you know really powerful female artists what are your thoughts on that
1: totally totally and i mean my own view growing up in the south and having family in in the north I also had that conception, you know, like I was ashamed, Mm -hmm. like totally ashamed. Like my cousins from New Jersey would tease me like about saying the word y'all and having like a very, um, very, although slight, a very Southern accent, which if you can hear, I have worked so long to get rid of, um, (laughs) uh, very consciously, although mute, very consciously work to get rid of, um. I, you know, I also felt the same way, um, in terms of like being ashamed of that kind of, um, Southern culture of, you know, we're going to get in our trucks and go dirt biking and yada, 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 be our women, you know, um, which is honestly like fairly well represented in like male country music. Um, but there's also a side of it that I've like totally learned to embrace and that is the women I grew up with, um. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've got a lot of awesome, amazing artists that are, you know, like some people have like dubbed it the Yeehaw revolution within the last year, a la Casey Musgraves, um, you know, for spearheading this kind of progressive, um, completely inclusive uh, vision of country led by women, um, mm-hmm. which I think has been really amazing in terms of, you know, just looking at the like the breadth of people it's impacting, you know, like. For, like for someone who, you know, is growing up in the South now and feel, feels completely ashamed by it, you know, I, I think people are, are learning to embrace it, which is awesome.
0: Um, right. You know? And then there you also have Little Nas X who's really – Yeah. We're heading that a lot. And for any of our listeners who don't know, there was a huge controversy over the summer last year when his song Old Town Road came out. The country stations refused to play it because they said it wasn't – country because, really, because he's yeah. black. I mean, what other reason? What They tried to say that it doesn't contain elements of country music, but you as a music journalist might be able to speak a little better about this.
1: I mean, if you want to get down to like nitty gritty in terms of stylistics, like no, it did not include like a steel pedal guitar. There wasn't like fiddles or anything. Um, But it had samples of
0: of country music tropes, didn't it?
1: Exactly, exactly. No, it's got you know that like sprangly twangly you know guitar in it. Um, There's you know, there's like the the how like the feeling of country music. Like it's you know. There's a road involved. I hate yeah. to be that basic, but there's a ton of country songs about the roads and he talks the about back like roads, drinking,
0: drinking beer and riding horses. It's literally like, what do you want? Like, like, sorry, didn't
1: he, he didn't talk about the spurs on the boots? Um, like, like I, I don't know what more they could have asked for. And then, and then, the funniest thing is like, like you were saying, Billboard actually refused to include it in the country music like a uh, weekend list because it wasn't country enough and i honestly find this so admirable um some people you know think it's a little bit kitschy but you know turning to billy ray cyrus who is a nashville hero um
0: Mm -hmm.
1: to you know hop on that track and spice it up brilliant move brilliant
0: yeah, I think maybe he spiced it down depending on what perspective you're coming from. <laughs>
1: but <laughs> Listen, I love myself, so make you break your heart. I, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I, <I'm, laughs> I love it. Come on. It's, it's I, it made me great. so happy
0: when he did that too. I mean, it shouldn't have been necessary because Little Nasdaq X should have been accepted into the country charts of his own accord. But the fact that Billy Ray Cyrus saw totally. what was going on and was like, this is BS. This kid deserves a break. Yeah. Um, I thought that was so cool and such a great middle finger to the establishment of which Billy Ray Cyrus is a part, you know?
1: Totally. He is one of the pillars in terms of, like, crafting that country song that, you know, like, goes straight to the heart, you know, is a a very common emotion that is tapped into um, with country. Um, Yeah, I... I love Old Town Road, like
0: I do. That's so good, it's so I good. I Love it,
1: like it. One of my old,
0: yeah. One of my favorite moments last year was I was in Donegal, which is this sort of like surfing beach town on the west coast of Ireland, with Nick. And it was we were leaving the bar at like one a.m. and we found these Irish teens in the middle of the street <laughs> dancing to. They were just like boogieing down to Old Time Old Town Road. On their phones and it was just like the best thing ever. I was like, this song is so good. It's really crossing borders and everyone just loves it.
1: It's got that like Bodak yellow element of like irresistibility, you know, like it's it's just like the lyrics are so easy to repeat. It's it's fun to dance
0: along to like. like, (laughs) And that's kind of what's cool about country music is it is always really catchy and just kind of. The music itself is kind of inclusive because you find yourself wanting to join in. But then for some reason, there are these country music gatekeepers, which brings us back to this Dixie Chicks issue.
1: Totally. Yeah, no, especially in thinking about like like chart – if you want to like look at the metrics and like what people at the top of the music industry want to cite as the reason why they're keeping certain groups out – Mm-hmm. Look at the Dixie Chicks; they sold more CDs in nineteen ninety eight than any other country group combined. After Wide Open Spaces, they they mm-hmm. killed it in terms of, like, you know, pre streaming um, in terms of album sales. Um, and they are the only country band and the only female band of any genre to hold the dis- distinction of having two back to back RIAA certified diamond albums.
0: Diamond. Wow, let's let's explain to the listeners, just in case they don't know what this controversy is that we're now getting around to talking about. Basically, the Dixie Chicks were killing it; they were selling, they were at the their absolute peak. In you know 2002, when this happened, they were performing in London actually, and this was around the time it was just after 9 11, and it was when Bush was sending troops to Iraq, and he was you know talking about the weapons of mass destruction and everything that yeah. never actually existed, and he was sort of starting this never end, soon to be never ending war, which a lot of the people in the UK were protesting against. They didn't want to be involved. They didn't want their tax dollars going to this war, which, you know, in the US, because of September 11th, we were all sort of swept up in this patriotic, nationalistic fervor of wanting to, you know, get the bastards. Whoever did this, we're going to get them. And even (laughs) if they didn't do this, we're still going to try to get them. You know, it was like we were not really not to make excuses for these terrible, tragic, pointless wars. But the people in the U.S. were – I feel like everyone was not really thinking clearly. And we just wanted – we were just kind of like out for blood. And in the UK, which has historically been our greatest ally, except for the Revolutionary War, obviously, but has (laughs) usually been our greatest ally, people in the UK were like, no, we're not doing this. And they were marching in the streets. We don't want to join this war. So the Dixie Chicks were performing in London and the lead singer – Natalie Maines is her name, right? Yep. She said, "Uh, we agree with you guys. You're right about this war. And we're ashamed to say that our president is from Texas. And that's all she said. And all hell broke loose.
1: Yep. They got slammed with the uh, unpatriotic traitors. You know, all, all of that. Um, I... I I just like, I have to think, I have to wonder, you know, especially regarding the heightened nationalism after 9 11, you know, es- especially like the element of them being abroad and saying, making that statement. That seemed to have been an additional point that people made as to the reason mm. why they were disavowing them, canceling them, or whatever. Um, so I have to wonder, I have to wonder, you know, why was that such a big deal? Like, yeah, like even President Bush came out later, um, I believe the following year. Yeah. OK. Um, he actually told Tom Brokaw the Dixie Chicks are free to speak their mind, but they shouldn't have their feelings hurt um, because they, you know, said something that people disagreed with. But even like Bush went on to say that they have that right as americans to say whatever the fuck they want
0: yeah but the it's- thing is he also i mean for him to boil it down to they can't have their feelings hurt is really disingenuous because they didn't have their feelings hurt they had their careers ruined for a few years i mean arguably forever would you say they've come back from that i don't God think no. they've come God like no obviously people don't judge them anymore but they can never regain that ground that was lost from having so many people boycott them and freak out for over a year yeah. it was probably like 2 3 years and so they start they basically had to go on this apology tour because there was this huge backlash i would say the most comparable thing in america would be to when john lennon said that the beatles were more well known than jesus and people started yeah. like burning beatles albums people were you know, throwing their Dixie Chicks albums in the trash. They were saying they'll never listen to them anymore. Um, Bill O'Reilly went on TV and said, the Dixie Chicks are callow, foolish women who deserve to be slapped around. This was the kind of thing that people were saying. He was literally saying that they deserve physical violence because they said they were ashamed that the president was from Texas. Yeah. and. Like today we can't even ruin the career. Like people get angry if you try to affect the career of a man who has been accused of like sexual assault. You know what I mean? It's so right. it's just so crazy to see the double standard, but so it was, yeah. it was I such mean, a huge I th- I think that,
1: Yeah, no, I think that it, like, even within the country music scene itself, people were like completely, you know, on, they, they picked a side, um, Toby Keith, um, Performed, I I think a couple months later after um, Natalie made that statement, performed in front of a backdrop that had a gigantic image of Natalie next to Saddam Hussein, like and performed oh a song, his like patriotic song. What is it? Proud to be an American. Yeah, um, like I I don't know. It, it, it goes, you know, it, there are parallels here to that Colin Kaepernick controversy in terms of speaking out. Um, and then having you know your ca- career completely ruined for dissenting against quote unquote the popular opinion, um,
0: right? And and really not even dissenting that badly, just kind of saying, hey, wait a minute, can we talk about this? You know, it's it's not like yeah. the Dixie Chicks. Like- called for George W. Bush's head or something. They just said, yeah, you know, we don't really support this war in Iraq because it was just going full steam ahead with nobody putting the brakes on whatsoever. And it's just, if you even try to bring in any shades of gray when it comes to something that nationalistic, people just flip out and they turn you into the enemy.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing is like nationalism has become – you know, so guised in patriotism that those, those two concepts I think are no longer, they're not, they're inextricable from one another at this point. Um, I, Mm -hmm. you know, at at least for me growing up in the military community, patriotism was like, like if it wasn't in your blood, then it was going to get slapped into you. You know, like you were either confronted with it all at all turns or like you were an unpatriotic, you know? Um, so like, God, I remember when I was in God, I must have been like in the fourth or fifth grade, and one of my classmates refused to stand during the national anthem, and my ass went to the principal's office about it. I was so
0: hurt. Really, you little narc. I
1: know. Uh, but that's that's the kind of that's the kind of brainwashing that happens when you're in an insular military violence driven community. That's just what happens. And like, yeah, that's a problem. I I, I am pulling a Dixie Chicks here. We should talk about it. But no yeah. one wants but no one wants to because if you say anything in questioning or criticizing the state of patriotism or what it means, then you are perceived as unpatriotic and an absolute enemy of the state.
0: I think that sort of nationalistic patriotic mindset even exists outside of the military and I I didn't really notice the extent of how ridiculous – we the level that we take it to in America until I moved out of America because now living in the UK, one of my friends was saying to me, you know, it's so weird that you guys have the American flag on everything because if I walked around with a union jack, people would assume mm-hmm. I was extremely right wing and i never would have made that connection before now that trump's in office i do make that connection i would i would be hesitant to walk around with an american flag on me because it it's just synonymous with the whole maga mindset make america great again but yeah, yeah i think and especially after 911 i remember this is the most random example but it just shows you just how much patriotism was permeating every single aspect of life for the year or so after 9-11. My cheerleading competition that year, every single cheerleading squad had like a crazy patriotic EDM remix as its competition music. And it's so weird. It's like, it's like, is that even... Is that even respectful? I don't really think so. It's just kind of over the top ins- insane like postmodern meaningless patriotism where it's a guy being like born to be American and then it's like a, a like techno remix of <laughs> God bless America and we're like doing herkeys. in the like it's just so weird. It's crazy to now see where that mindset has gotten us after, you know, 10 how many years is it? it's been like twenty years of these never ending wars,
1: yeah, it's what the academics call the forever war, you know it's never ending in the Middle East and for the people caught in the crossfire innocently. Yeah. um I think we need to have a real conversation about that, and you know, like like you said, with the whole we don't uh negotiate with terrorists. Well, if you're painting every black and brown person in the Middle East as a terrorist, regardless of their affiliations, because there are extremist Christians, there are extremists, whatever you can you can extremify if that's a word. If not, I'm inventing it. You can do that to any ideology, you know. Yeah. And
0: so, yeah, and so the fact that the Dixie Chicks were absolutely pilloried for this is really insane, especially now looking back on it. I think even somebody who – I think probably even the most right-wing people would kind of be like, yeah, that was a little over the line. We didn't need to get that mad at them. But can you tell me a little bit more about your upbringing and where you were? You said your mom threw out their CDs. Can you tell me like what that was like as a kid to see all this going on and how it sort of informed you as a person?
1: Well, for, for me, I have, like, very visual memories um, in terms of, like, my exposure to them. I remember watching their music videos on CMT um, and listening to their music. You know, we, we bought the CDs at the PX in Savannah, Georgia. Um, what The PX is, like, a military, um, like, on-post type shopping area, um, you know, that offers, like, oh, discounts wow. for military and stuff like that. And they have, like, everything. Um, but I I remember buying that. Um, well, I didn't buy it, obviously. I was broke as a seven-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, my parents bought it, uh, loved it. My dad actually made a mixed CD with wide-open spaces on it, uh, along with Sheryl Crow, I think Alanis Morissette, um, which speaks a lot about my other tastes. But just in terms of country, like, that – I. I I loved those songs, you know that Shania Twain, mm. um, her Up CD that came out I think in t- 2002, um, completely chartered my upbringing. Um, so when that this happened, I remember like the tabloids at the grocery stores with the the Dixie Chicks on the front, you know, um, and my dad actually being really upset about it, and I, I think I asked him at one point, you know, like why, why is this happening? Um, and he said to me, um, regardless of who is holding the office, the office of the president should always be res- respected, you know, cause that was technically his, his, you know, first, first in command, his boss is someone in the military. Um, yeah. and regardless of whether he agreed with the opinions of the person holding the office, he had, he held respect for the office. So that was what I was taught to always believe and think along Um, In terms of, you know, where I should personally like hold respect, um, you know, you know, first in command. That's just how it is. And so when that happened, um, I, I just like, I don't think I had any like real concept of what it meant to censor or blacklist or because these are kind of advanced concepts but i knew that they were they were bad now they were not good they were bad now yeah I, i i even though i loved those songs you know um cowboy take me away i was listening to it this morning and i was just like getting teary thinking about all the memories i have associated with cowboy take me away um I,
0: that's so good. They have such a great back catalog. And even before this happened, there was a lot of radicalism and radical feminism in their music. Like, for instance, the song Goodbye Earl. I grew up listening to that song. And it's a song about, yeah, it's a song about a woman who it's told from the point of view of this woman. Her best friend is being abused by her husband and they go out and get retribution for it. And I mean, for me as a, yeah, they kill him. And for me as a kid, that was my first exposure to the concept of domestic violence. Like, lucky for me, I, wow. d- I didn't have any firsthand exposure to it as a kid. But the the first concept I had of domestic violence was, oh, if a man beats you, he deserves to die. Obviously, that wouldn't make me go and kill a man who did something. You know what I mean? It would, Yeah, I gotcha. It, it planted the idea in my head: this is not okay. Domestic violence is not okay. Like I knew that they were using it as a rhetorical device, like the death of the man and everything. But right. I just think that's so valuable that they were able to put that out there. But as for you, somebody who grew up in the south and had, you know, this country music upbringing, this is something that is very radical. And is this would would the average you know, white male country, I'm not saying the average country fan is white male, but the average white male who is a country fan, would they be listening to that song and and seeing the radicalism, do you think? Or do you think they would be listening to it and just kind of bopping along and not really listening to lyrics?
1: I think anything, especially from the male point of view that is written by a female, is susceptible to a lot more criticism um, and interrogation. So yeah, I'd say that they'd probably listen to the lyrics and be like wait hold up like they want to they want to kill me you know they they take it personally um which i i think explains why the like mass contingency that like descended on the radio stations demanding that they be removed from the air after this statement was predominantly male um yeah they you know where where was this report um even now, um, you know, Taylor Swift just released a new song um, called Soon You'll Get Better. It's about her mother who is currently sh- uh, struggling and fighting cancer. Um, and the ballad, it's an acoustic ballad. It's, it's very old Taylor Swift, um, but it features backing vocals from the Dixie Chicks. And actually, um, last September, um, when the song started getting circulated on radios, um a specific station in Portland, Oregon actually had people calling and complaining that the Dixie Chicks were on the air. This was just last September. That people what? Are, that people are still holding on to this grudge.
0: Oh my god. Isn't
1: that absolutely insane? Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Like,
1: so 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 the host of the show, Mike Chase, um was explaining, uh, uh, you know, what the song was about. You know, he says it's a song about her own mother struggling with cancer. We played the song and also posted it on our Facebook page. One woman commented saying her grandmother had died 10 minutes prior to us playing it. But right after that, some guy goes, I guess it would be better if Taylor wasn't ramming her politics down my throat.
0: Oh, my God. She wasn't ramming any politics with that song. But by
1: sheer association with the Dixie Chicks, that has been perceived by this man as shoving a political agenda down his throat. So just think about, like, literally the span of time. This has been 17 years now since
0: this statement was made.
1: Country music fans hold grudges like no other.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But I think, again, I don't want to paint country fans necessarily – as being more conservative or more vindictive than other fan groups, because look at what Madonna went through in the early nineties when she was using Catholic imagery in her work.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: You no, know, like she was being totally. banned and blacklisted by some people and and like, again, like I mentioned previously with John Lennon saying that thing about Jesus, I think it's, an American thing overall. And I think it's a puritanical thing. We have this sort of Puritan streak in our DNA where we really like to give people purity tests of varying degrees. Like, you know, in, in the early two thousands, around the same time that this was happening in the Bush years, Like last week or two weeks ago, we talked about Jessica Simpson and Britney Spears insisting that they were virgins before marriage. I mean, I don't think any other developed country was talking about women being virgins before marriage in the year 2001, you know? It's just this weird, weird tendency we have to hold people to these crazy standards. And and we want all of our celebrities to be sort of squeaky clean in a way that's very odd. And I think it happens in – you know, the country community. It happens in the pop community. It was a huge deal in the 80s with Tipper Gore deciding that her, you know, cause celeb was going to be censoring music and getting those, uh, what were they? The parental advisory stickers Mm -hmm. put on music and everything. It is just such a weird thing. And Madonna, people still hate her and they don't really know why. And I think a big part of it is just how controversial she was for being sexual and, and stuff like that.
1: Totally. Um, Another interesting tidbit, you know, to tie this back into the Dixie Chicks, um, is after... So the statement made by Natalie was made in March of 2003. Um, A month later, Madonna was releasing a music video for uh, the song American Life. Um, And before the statement, that music video had actually included a clip of madonna throwing a handgun towards a bush lookalike um but she changed it after she realized that the backlash the dixie chicks were facing and did not want to like subsequently like you know obviously expose herself to that kind of criticism too but i just think that's so fascinating how how much this one moment completely changed the landscape in terms of like what you could and couldn't do in artistic expression, especially in terms of music, um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is like very, very much a total sensory experience. So Mm -hmm. I just want, I just like, you have to wonder like what other artists or what other music has been, uh, you know, stymied by this total, uh, you know, um, like absolute uh, black Blacklisting of the Dixie Chicks.
0: Yeah, I wonder what Madonna's point was in throwing the gun at him because that whole American Life album was pretty much like protesting the war. So I wonder. That is really interesting.
1: Yeah, I didn't know. I I didn't know this before doing the research for this podcast. But uh, yeah, I I think that's just insane that it you know it even so much as went to censor Madonna. (laughs) Yeah. I,
0: don't know. I love that album. It's so good. And that song is so good too. Yeah. She got a lot of flack for rapping about a soy latte on that song, but I really think she pulled it <laughs> off. <laughs> oh,
1: oh, yes, when soy was controversial.
0: I know. Yeah. It still is. I mean, I guess almond milk is more controversial because it has a bigger carbon footprint. But, you know. Yeah, so
1: we're all about that I wanna- oat milk now.
0: I know. I don't really like the oat milk. It has too many calories. I just want, like, I want my milk replacement to be as close to water as possible, you know?
1: So use water, Molly.
0: Yeah, but then it's not the same. You know, you can't just pour water in your coffee. It needs to be white. If it was just like water with white food dye, maybe I'll, maybe I'll spearhead that. That will be my, that will be my fringe fundraiser. I will sell Molly's zero calorie milk sweet milk additive.
1: Oh my god. <laughs> Oprah will anyway, be on that.
0: I know. Anyway, I so with the topic of feminism, this is a word that has come up a few times in this discussion. I find it really interesting the way that country music does have so many feminist themes and there is a lot of different sort of mm-hmm. radical sub subgenres of country. Um, but a lot of country singers will not identify as feminists. And even Dolly Parton has famously kind of said, no, those women don't speak for me. And I think the reason for that is because – to. and I would love to hear what you think. I've kind of figured that the reasoning for that is sort of an issue of class solidarity. Because if you're not a part of these like elite coastal feminist circles that – you know even in the past few years have increasingly been all about white collar feminism you could easily look at someone like Gloria Steinem or not Gloria Steinem so much but people whose main goal is to close the wage gap and you could very easily say i don't know who these ladies are like they have nothing to do with me i don't know what's what's your what's your take on that on country musicians reticence to embrace the feminist label
1: mm. I think it does have in large part to do with the traditional sense of the American family, which is so imbued throughout like country music's development, Um, you know, like the homestead and bluegrass and um, initially, you know, rock and roll um, that kind of fueled what we now know as modern country, I think has that uh, value uh, so clearly intertwined with what it means to be a country artist. You know, if we look at like the men who are topping the charts today, like Blake Shelton, you know, I mean, he's not the most perfect example, um, but him and like Gwen Stefani, their ro- their romance, their like heteronormativity completely splayed across the Grammy stage, you know, um, I think that only goes to like reinforce this notion that you can only be successful if you like have it all, meaning the family. Um, so of course, like women who are fighting for airspace, um, in this genre are going to completely disavow, um, whatever it means to go against that. Um, I mean, now we're seeing more people come out in support of it. Like I was saying earlier, Casey Musgraves is honestly completely changing the landscape in terms of what it means to be a woman a woman in country music i mean taylor swift did a little bit of that but she almost like completely abandoned the genre over the last couple albums in favor of you know the more pop jack antonoff sounding mainstream um but i I i genuinely think it does have to do with this um this aspect of the american nuclear family being so central to what it means like you said like the purity the waiting until marriage type thing um so I, yeah i i think it it it's you know a double-edged sword in that yes it's it's something that has uh been revered and has you know almost been like the final destination of every like woman and her aspirations like that is the expectation is to like be a subordinate to a man Um, but there are women who are completely taking that back and are you know changing what it means to be a woman in country you know like we've got um, like if we're talking about dolly parton and like her stature you know as she developed and gained her um, position as a literal icon was like her entire aesthetic was quote-unquote the other woman You know, like Mm -hmm. the one in town who turned heads, the woman who never had a man but always had her nails done and, like, smelled amazing, you know? Um, So I think in terms of, like, that um, positioning and where everyone else could kind of position themselves in Dolly's orbit, um, I don't know. I I, I think it just really has to do with the whole idea of the nuclear family being so central. Um, That's
0: interesting. I guess what I find so interesting about it is that Dolly Parton, by any any mainstream feminist definition of feminism, she would be considered a feminist. And I used to get really angry when successful famous women refused to identify as feminists because I felt like a lot of the time that it sort of boiled down to a lack of – education about what feminism actually was. Like mm-hmm. I remember even when we worked together at a magazine, we we did a listicle I think one time of women who refused to identify as feminists and yes, one of the one of them was Taylor Swift and she was like, "Oh, I don't believe in looking at things as men versus women." And I think that's a really simplistic and for lack of a better word, stupid way of looking at feminism. But then when you look at someone like... And I don't think Taylor Swift thinks that way anymore. I think she has evolved. But when you look at someone like Dolly Parton, I think Dolly Parton's view of feminism is, I have no kinship with these women. I... I don't know who they are. They have never come to see me. They've never come right. to the impoverished community that I'm from in Appalachia and they've never checked up on me. All they're doing is making sure that men aren't speaking over them in board meetings. So right. I don't know. I feel, like, I feel like Dolly Parton in particular really helped me to kind of understand why some women wouldn't be comfortable with that and that it's not – always just that they don't fully understand what feminism is. It's really just not for her.
1: Yeah. And I think even what you said back to like class antagonism and having that additional layer of separation between me versus her rather than realizing that we're all on the same team (laughs) um, went Mm -hmm. a long way to shape how people viewed feminism. And like like you were saying about that listicle, I remember we, (laughs) we were talking about it and I was like, And, you know, Lana Del Rey doesn't think that either. And you were like, put her on the list. And I was like, no, (laughs) please don't make me. Uh, Because I, I also was like, dang it, Lana, come on. Because she said something along the lines of, you know, I don't concern myself with feminism. I'm more interested in SpaceX and intergalactic development or
0: something. Oh, my God. I forgot she said that. Oh, my God.
1: And you were like absolutely chastising me for still writing so hard for her. But
0: I couldn't help it.
1: Um, Like Taylor, she has also evolved, Um, I think. And seeing the eras of her ways and recognizing that, you know, feminism isn't just about, like, women's equality. There's, a, you know, there's, like, 50,000 other dimensions to it that require that you lab- label yourself as a feminist.
0: Yeah, um, totally.
1: Obviously. And I know, also
0: – what? You go ahead.
1: Uh, no, it's all right. I've lost my idea.
0: <laughs> oh, well, I was going to say, I, I guess I've just – I've become a little bit more sen- – uh sympathetic to people who don't want to use the label just because I have seen a lot of it being co-opted by like I said before like white collar causes and it's just like who cares like commercial
1: capital F feminism
0: yeah like I don't care how many little girls we put in t-shirts that say the future is female that's not gonna get you know, maternity leave and mm-hmm. healthcare that women need—it's just getting—it's gotten so stupid and commercialized. And I just get really annoyed at people who boil it down to things like m- men not letting them speak in meetings. Like, don't wait for someone to let you speak. How about that? You know, I guess. Yeah. It, it's just—it's just like when you when you look at the women who actually accomplish the most, it seems like a lot of them. Kind of like Lana said. Now I'm coming around to what she's. I mean, to 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 say I don't care about feminism. I care about outer space is like hilarious. But it's it's kind of like the people who talk the most about feminism and concern and think the most about gender theory yes we need those people but they're not usually the people who are accomplishing the most in other spheres you know what totally, I mean totally
1: totally and like I was saying like feminism requires so much more now than it used to um, because the field has evolved so so much to understand the intersections around what feminism actually means and in order to achieve this you know tip of the iceberg issue of gender equality, there are 50,000 other issues that demand the same, if not more attention under the water, you know? Right. So I, I, yeah. th- I, think in, I think, at least for me personally, in looking at the people who do spout, you know, feminism, capital F, buy my hashtag feminist merch, it goes to an all-women company, whatever, I think that speaks larger to like what we were talking about being the larger concept of feminism, um, of what people and honestly like reputation, what that reputation has come to mean to a lot of different people. Because it can mean 50,000 different things depending on your positionality with class, like like we were just saying.
0: Yeah, like I think the South has a really great legacy of really, really strong kick-ass working-class women who have achieved a lot and are culturally extremely relevant to the South's, you know, vision of itself and idea of itself. And I think a lot of those women probably wouldn't consider themselves feminists just because it's foreign to them. And I don't think that and, and that's where I think the label becomes a little bit irrelevant. It's like, how do you live your life? What do you accomplish on a day-to-day basis? It doesn't really matter what the label is. And I don't know if the Dixie Chicks have ever said if they are or not. And I just – yeah, it just doesn't really seem that relevant.
1: Yeah. I mean, if we want to like get down to like what they would like call themselves, I, I think they'd be feminist, obviously. But like that – type of feminism is going to look a lot different if you're standing outside of it, you know, you don't yeah. have like us, you know, me, Joe Schmo down here. I, I, I don't understand what it's like to have that massive of a platform and, you know, especially in understanding what you can do with it. Of course it seems easier from the outside. Um, but like in, in terms of like what they were able to do regarding breaking Every single smashing records for all genders, you know? Um, that in and of itself, I think, and just persevering through that, through the blacklisting, through essentially cancellation, um, yeah, I think that's feminist in and of itself, is to keep persevering.
0: Of course. I just found this this story on bus.com and the headline is really just bothering me so much. And I think it's really <laughs> funny. It says six ways the Dixie Chicks defy stereotypes of southern women. It's like what are your stereotypes of oh god, southern women? What are they? Why, do you, why are your I don't know my internet's not working to get it, but it's like what oh my god why do the why do they defy stereotypes of southern women? What what low opinion do you have of southern women? Do you know what I mean? Uh,
1: all right, here I've pulled it up. I have to know. I just like what is the concept out – because obviously these are not coming from internally, like from some Southern women. There's no right.
0: way. I mean, my stereoty- – like if you had to say to me what's the typical Southern women, I would think like Dolly Parton, Dixie Chicks, Shania Twain, even though she's Canadian, Reese Witherspoon. <laughs> like, it's, it's people that are kick ass, like Steel Magnolias style. It's not oh, yeah. like – even, sh- like, Scarlett O'Hara was not a shrinking violet, you know? Right. It's really, it's really interesting to just see how people I, – and I guarantee – I'm throwing Northerners under the bus again because I can't help it. I'm just sure that that <laughs> story was written by a Northerner because we really, like, have such, a like, offensive view. So many people in the North have just this weird offensive view of Southerners. Our, our offensive view of Midwesterners is probably fair, though.
1: <laughs> oh my god that's so true but like the thing it's is joking. is like southern women southern <laughs> sorry to
0: all of our midwest listeners i, I don't have any Midwestern um, listeners and if i do you can go scratch no i'm just kidding i'm totally joking
1: <laughs> we'll invite you on the air and you can defend yourself that's I'll fine. make a Midwestern
0: friend someday. Someday I will make a Midwestern friend. <laughs> okay. Continue, Keely. Sorry.
1: It's okay. Um, for some odd reason, the bust.com uh site is not responding. I think it's the link is probably broken or something. But, anyways, like you were saying, I think those stereotypes are totally like defined from the outside, um, which would be, you know, very closely tied to like Christian traditional um godly values. Um so I mean, if the st- Dixie chicks are busting those stereotypes, you know, they might as well call them Yankees. Like, oh, I, I, I don't. You know, like Shots I don't fire. think that's like, I, I don't think that's like anything like, like I, I don't know, like that's not that, that's called being a decent human being. You know, is like tolerance and like yeah, speaking it's up very for yourself.
0: Weird. I, it's I, weird I don't to. Know. I, It's just weird anytime somebody gives negative attributes a geographical identity. Do you know what I mean? Totally. It's it's just wishful thinking to think that we can sort through these negative traits of humans and deposit them in different locations throughout the world and just lock our brains and turn off our brains to the fact that they exist everywhere in the world.
1: That's, like, the definition of xenophobia. <laughs> like, yeah. It, like, if, like it, if you're thinking if, – if you're, you know, brushing an entire group of people with such a, like, wide brush, uh, I don't think there's much help for you out there, you know? Like, yeah. like, if you're not able to, like, recognize and internally, like, digest the fact that there are, um, you know, multitudes of ideas, multitudes of people, despite sharing that one singular label – I don't know. There, there's nothing for you. Um, yeah, definitely. But, but, yeah.
0: I think something really interesting about country music is, you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the controversy that happened with Casey Musgraves. I think it was a month ago. She and some other really big influential women in country music were talking about how country stations still refuse to play two women's songs in a row and that Mm -hmm. the airwaves of the country stations are so dominated by white men. And that's just something that goes on to this day. And I just find it so interesting because if you asked me personally to name a male country singer, you know, I know a few of them. I know like Tim McGraw, Toby Keith, Blake Shelton only because he's dating Gwen Stefani. I don't really know any of their music. But if you asked me for – I feel like the female country singers are the ones with the with legs. They're the ones with traveling power. They're the crossover artists and people like go nuts for them no matter what the demographic is. So why do you think it is that the country, the country community within itself is sort of still so white male dominated when the ones that we all – associate the artists that we associate most with that genre are pretty much women
1: well if we look back to countries quote-unquote origins um and like if you want to like dive into like a specific faction like like the country music of appalachia and like what came out of literally like the migration west all of all of those instruments like the banjo is a west african instrument it actually came from ghana the Accra plains um and was an instrument used um by the people there that was then brought here by the slaves that were extracted from their home um and we turned that you know the white male property owning citizens um we're turning that into profitable music and sharing it via oral stories and um, performances, you know, along whatever journey they're taking on their manifest blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, So I I think that a lot of people are very confused about like what country is and what it constitutes in general. Um, I mean, just looking at that and like thinking about sister Rosetta Tharp who despite her massive contributions and arguably um, shaping the landscape so that Elvis Presley could be a thing, um, she was just now recognized as having that power and inducted into the uh, National Hall of uh, Rock and Roll fame or whatever. Um, And she was
0: a Black woman.
1: And she was a Black woman who absolutely slayed guitar, changed what it meant to play um, rock and roll, which now I think stylistically is co- closest to what we would recognize as country. Um, it all came from a black woman.
0: Yeah. Um, so Do you know I- what else I have to say? I have to throw my British friends under the bus a little bit here because I know so many British. Pe- like, okay, whenever I go out to a pub, I talk really loud just all the time. I talk really loud, whatever. I can't help it. People hear that I'm American, and they, you know. Challenge me to a duel over whether America is better or worse than the UK. And I'm like, yo, I don't care. I moved to the UK for a reason. You know, like I love American culture so much. I love so many aspects of America. I love things about the UK too, whatever. But also, if you want to talk about pop culture dominance, you know, there's reasons for everything. But so people have tried to tell me like, they're like, oh, well, yeah, America might have invented, like, the movie industry, I mean, France invented film and cinema, but we sort of turned it into the industry that it is now. Like, America did this, America did that, but, like, the Beatles invented rock and roll, and I'm like, "Mm, no, No. the Beatles stole rock and roll from black people, just like Elvis did, and just like every white American rock band did. Like, black people invented rock and roll, and I just need everyone in the UK to kind of just, just Google it.
1: Just chill a little bit. (laughs) Um, But I, yeah, I think in terms of like, like I said, like what people think of country music, it is very entwined with that, you know, male going on a journey, um, coming into trouble on the way, you know, singing about that, that, heartbreak or whatever um and i I think it's a very uh it's very dependent on sympathy as a genre um just you know coming from a woman's perspective um in terms of like yeah in terms of like what what is sung about um you know like i'm i'm down and blue and my woman's left me i'm gonna drink a beer to get me through something dumb like that you know um so i i like i said I, i really think that it's just so completely obscured by these stereotypes
0: um yeah basically what you're saying is just like pretty much any other industry any other modality of entertainment over the past century the contributions of women and people of color in this case specifically black people are have been erased since the very beginning
1: Totally, and I I did this really ama- earlier. Or yeah, early last year, I did this amazing profile with this artist. Um, her name is Yola, and she's actually from the UK, but she is a black woman, and she is making country music. She actually worked with Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys on her debut album called "Walk Through Fire." Yes, I am plugging it in because it is an amazing record, and everyone should check it out. Um, but she is. I think truly what like she embodies what I envision country music should be. You know what I mean? Mm. Like she's powerful. She's got a voice like an angel. Um and powerful. Like she she is a force to be reckoned with. Um and her songs are very much in the like vein of old country. Like she includes elements of doo op. You know how their like doo op songs often lyrically are very like melodramatic and honestly like like woe is me, you know? But the way mm-hmm. they're delivered is so like goddamn happy. Like like they're yeah. catchy. They're they're happy. Um like like yes I'm singing about something really depressing but I'm gonna have fun and look good while doing it, you know? Um and I think Yola is like absolutely blowing it out of the water right now in terms of what it means to be a country artist in 2020. That's um, cool.
0: I need to check her out. Yeah,
1: No, she's amazing. And she's such a funny person. Like, oh, she's got, she's like, we'll tell the most depressing story about her life. Like um, at one point she was actually homeless Um Uh, an in-between job she was like a top-line pop songwriter um for a bunch of like you know kind of b-list pop stars um and you know she ended up being homeless for a bit and she was telling me this story and like i'm like this is so depressing but she is telling it laughing like telling me you know like what she's she learned from that and how she's using it to go forward and that to me is the absolute embodiment of a feminist, the embodiment of what it means to <sighs> nevertheless she persisted.
0: Oh god, I literally hate that saying.
1: <laughs> I, I said it with air quotes. I know you guys can't see it, but I said it with yeah. air quotes. Um but yeah, so th- that to me is just like absolutely, you know, groundbreaking in terms of what she's been yeah. able to do and she's just coming up and I'm t- she's going to be massive. And if she's not, and it's the following of the establishment.
0: Yeah. The thing that's crazy is that people will think, oh, wow, you know, she's a black woman singing country. And they'll think that that is a divergence from the norm when it's always been part of the norm.
1: Right. Like I was even talking to her about like or what it she thought. Or part of the norm. Right. Um, And when I had talked to her, like, two weeks prior, this study um, had come out. Uh, Let's see, where is the study? Uh, This study um, called Gender Representation on Country Format Radio. Um, And it looked at, you know, the chart, uh, the, like, performances of radio airplay um, from the year 2000 to 2018. And in the year 2000, women held 33.3% 33.3% of songs on the year-end country airplay reports. But by last year, meaning in 2018, they only came in at 11.3, which means that declined 66% in terms of airplay. Whoa. Um, so in looking at, like, that trajectory and, like, you know, questioning why women, like, why they won't play two women country songs back-to-back. Um, like, it seems that... You know, male artists just spend all the time at number one positions. Meanwhile, female artists, you know, fall to the bottom 11%, um, even though they are outselling by an insane amount. I don't have the exact figures in front of me, um, but women sold better than men did during that time period, yet only represented 11% of the airplay.
0: That's insane. That's completely it is ins- insane.
1: It's wild to see it, like, quantified, you know, because it's been yeah. something that's been, uh, you know, circulating the discourse here now for a couple years. But to see that actually distilled into, like, graspable figures, I think it it, it really serves as a challenge to, you know, whoever is coordinating airplay and, um, I mean airplay is really dwindling in terms of impact stream streams are now what i think
0: not on podcast radio though (laughs) but not on this radio station
1: no it's not hello shout out (laughs) um but joking we're all joking no shout out sorry um
0: But in terms of <laughs> no, shoutouts, good. The shout out's good. No, it's true though, and it's crazy. What you're saying is really insane, and I wonder how much of it is maybe as a direct result or a hangover from the whole Dixie Chicks controversy. Because you said that the the year when they first started collecting data for this study was 2000.
1: Yep. So so it might the have Dixie been, Chicks were yeah. actually included in this study. They were actually um, the author of the study. uh, What's her name? Dr. Jada Watson from the University of Ottawa. Ottawa, Sorry. Um, She actually said in the study, um, the years 2003 and 2008 show no songs by women or male-female ensembles, like Big Little Town or something like that, in the top 10, um, which means that 100% of the songs were by male artists in the top 10. During those years, the absence of female artists in the year-end top 10 for 2003 is not surprising, given the months-long radio backlash to the Dixie Chicks for lead singer Natalie Maines' denunciation of President Bush while on tour in the UK in March of that year.
0: So, it it seems like this is something, obviously, that's still affecting female country musicians to this day.
1: Totally. I, I mean, it's it's understated frankly and i mean like in terms of trying to like you know correct ourselves and work towards a more gender balanced airplay um like i guess ratio or figure um i think it's going to take years of work um and i don't really know why like i i mean i got that backlash against the dixie chicks was a thing and it it obviously had a much greater impact on radio, country radio, than I think a lot of people really understood in the year, like years directly following. Um, but I, I don't know how you would even go to try and correct that in the years I know you know well
0: I think it's it's almost self-correcting in that look at Casey Musgrave's album sales look at Taylor Swift's success look at Miley Cyrus who started it kind of in country and I wish she would go back to country because I love her I love Miley Cyrus's voice in anything but I just love her country too it's like it's kind of like you're saying this these FM radio plays in the country market. I'm sure they're relevant within certain geographical sectors, but I think a lot of female artists are coming out and dominating regardless of the lack of radio play.
1: Right. And I mean, if we were to look at Casey Musgrave's last quote unquote radio single, which was Rainbow, um, I I don't know. There was something very that – there was something that hit that struck me as like, I don't know, like almost like a bad decision to make that one a radio single, considering how like, sa- like it's a sweet song. I love it, absolutely adore that song. But to make that a radio single and to suggest that that's what should be played on, you know, FM radio where people are you know constantly flipping through the channels and, like, I, I just don't see anyone like stopping on that song and mm-hmm. actively listening cuz it's 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 sappy it's sad it's sweet but it's sad
0: <laughs> like yeah diet. well it's been a long time since you know just to invoke Jessica Simpson again it's been a long time since like sappy slow jams got released as singles so i kind of res- it's kind of a weird flex i guess i kind of like respect it
1: yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. But I remember
0: in the in the two thousands, like half the songs on the radio would be like these insane schmaltzy tear jerkers. It was so funny. <laughs>
1: that's, that's very true. And then EDM became a thing.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm still trying to come around on EDM. It's hard for me, man. It's hard it. for me. Yeah, I I I, 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 I don't want to down on me. it.
1: I am I am a music journalist, but. But there is something about that that I cannot seem to, like, either, like, break into or crack the surface. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But,
0: yeah. Do you know – did you see Uncut Gems?
1: I did not see Uncut Gems.
0: Oh, my God. You have to see it. It's frigging amazing. But it's got this really wild – not even EDM, but just, like, electronic soundtrack – but the closing credits is the song, that song I'll Fly With You that was really big in like the 2000s. It's such a good like Jersey Shore throwback kind of
1: <laughs>
0: moment. And I, when that song came on the end credits for Uncut Gems, I was like, whoa, this makes me see EDM in a completely different light. Maybe I can get into it. So I tried, but I couldn't. And now I've just been listening to that song on repeat for like a month. (laughs) But you should see Uncut Gems. It's really good. (laughs) You know, another country – I've got like a whole
1: list of movies.
0: Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And it's on Netflix, but it's better on the big screen. You should see it on the big screen if you can, anyone listening. But another country artist that I definitely want to mention is Carrie Underwood because – I also thought that Before He Cheats was an incredibly radical, incredible song that never really got the attention it deserved. I mean, it got mainstream attention, but I really think we should all, like, revisit Carrie Underwood's first album and maybe kind of, you know, do a deep read one of these days.
1: Totally. Like, you were saying – um goodbye earl was your introduction to like domestic violence that song was mine like i had heard Mm. goodbye earl but i don't think i really stopped to think about that because i was so young but before he cheats that music video she looks so hot and like (laughs) she's like tearing up this guy's car and i mean obviously like you were saying i didn't feel empowered to go slash tires or anything but it is so much it's About so much more than that. I think it's more like along the lines of realizing that, you know, you shouldn't take crap from anyone. Um, And I mean, there are consequences to that, (laughs) even if they're not as extreme as, you know, killing a guy and burying him or slashing his tires.
0: That's what people don't understand about like music and comedy and film and TV and art in general is – you're not meant to take it literally, and almost no one does.
1: Yeah, everyone is so literal nowadays with like looking into lyricism. Like, people who write songs most of the time, like, at least from my experience in trying to write music, like, you're you have to be imaginative. You can't, you know, tell the story as is because that's boring as all get out. <laughs> you got to yeah. be like, I don't know there's an element of like Fabulation to that it's like fantastical You know like In imagining like what could Be done (laughs) about those Things
0: Definitely and then when you're actually Just talking on stage before And after the songs people shouldn't Take that as seriously either Like they did with the Dixie Chicks (laughs) Some people think Diva's a bitch I never said that Diva Behavior. Hey, great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. <gasps> of course, I don't trust you. Diva Behavior, the podcast. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.